0: Good morning. I'd like to welcome each one this morning to our Sunday morning worship service this morning. Uh, i like to welcome each visitor, each home uh, person that uh, make you feel welcome. We love to see each face. And uh, it may have said uh, Donna Victory, but uh, uh, <clears throat> over the past few weeks things have really been in a turmoil. But uh, today... Uh, Hopefully we'll get back to, to normal. Today is uh, July the 24th, uh, 2022, and the day of our Lord. Uh, we come this morning to lift up our Savior and God, because when we lift him up, he lifts us up in many more ways than we can ever imagine. As we sing and praise God this morning, let us keep in mind that uh, God uh, has blessed us in so many ways. And I'd like to thank each one for uh, their giving in our church that you, and the support that uh, uh, God has said that uh, he would bless a cheerful cheer giver. So, let us give in happiness and uh, uh, in helping others. <clears throat> On Monday, <clears throat> uh, the, the 25th to the 29th, <clears throat> grades 10 through 12 <clears throat> for the youth camp in Pollock. Uh, week before last, we had three campers to go down to, down to Pollock and uh, they were truly blessed. And the time that they were spent down uh, down there. And they came back refreshed. One come back with a cupboard, and Then the next one got a COVID, So, But uh, God has blessed. And they're back this morning, back in worship. And uh, Wednesday, uh, Carvin will be sharing with us. And also next Sunday, uh, Brother Ray Rollins will be uh, with us. Uh, for our devotion this morning is from Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord with renewing their strength, they will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. So that's better than any workout gym that you could ever be in, that you could uh, be blessed by waiting upon the Lord. Let us uh, have a word of prayer. Dear Father, we ask that you will be in the midst of us this morning. That you will bless and that you will anoint from on high. Blessing the singing and the the music and for the message that you will be sending our way this morning. We thank you in so many ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. James has something he wants to share with us.
1: I just wanted to uh, let everybody know on behalf of our search committee for a new pastor, uh, I told you I think two weeks ago we were meeting (coughs) last Sunday with our search committee and we did meet with our search committee and Brother Ray, he is going to be working with us on, uh, on getting our new pastor. And so anyway, we've got a few names and we've got one of those right now that uh, we've contacted and he's praying about it with his family so if y'all would just uh, keep in prayer for the search committee and for god to lead the right person here to our church so we'll sort of keep you up to date on this any information that we get we'll uh we'll bring it up but uh that's where we're at right now and brother ray is going to be back with us uh, next sunday He'll be back. And Brother Carbon, thank you and Brother Ray for so much support that you give our church here. So I just wanted to bring people up on on that. If you have any questions about it, I'll be glad to try to answer them for you you if you have any. But thank you very much. Won't you stand with us as we begin our service this morning, singing a song, To God be the glory. Able to do what we do, isn't it? I like to read a scripture found from Matthew 18:20. For where two or three
0: are gathered together in
1: my name, there I am with them. Let's remember that as we sing. Surely, the presence of the Lord is in this place.
0: Got uh, one more. You go back sitting anyway. I'll give you a little rest. In Christ
1: alone. This is another beautiful song that we learned while Neil was here.
2: In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is the light, my strength. Song, this cornerstone is solid ground from the furthest ground and storm. What and heights I'm of love, what depths of peace? When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all. In Christ alone It took on flesh Fullness of God and helpless place, His gift of love and righteousness Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross when Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him I lay Here in the death of Christ I live day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands, This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny No power of hell, no scheme of man Can ever pluck me from his hand Till he returns our calls on home. Here in the power of Christ I stand.
1: Children, you may go to your classes now.
0: We are truly blessed to have such good musicians and singers and for each one that plays a part of our church that you are a blessing to each one. And and, uh, Carvin, uh, we sure thank you so much for being a part of our congregation and being able to share God's word to us. We are all to be thankful for the blessings of life this morning. And uh, as we go to prayer, uh, you don't, it's not complaining, but uh, uh, the temperature outside, uh, it it has taken its toll on people, older people, younger people, um, animals of all kinds. And I know that he knows what the conditions is, but we can still ask that he help with the temperature. And we ask that he will help in uh, the healing of people that are not well, Uh, Sandy Adams. And we're thankful for the healing of Brantley, that uh, he has had the COVID tested positive for the COVID, but uh, uh, God has blessed and. Uh, him and Bonnie too Uh, Kate, we have so many things uh, to be thankful for this morning Uh, Larry uh, Lawson uh, Larry Smith his house burned down I remember him and his family and Jerry Crane uh, John Spires Mr. Lowry Uh, Marie and L.B. Honeycutt, we're happy to have them in our midst this morning. Those that are traveling and also the uh, camp at Pollock, uh, Carrie Mitchell, our church and our missionaries, each one that uh, has a part that works in God's kingdom. Let's remember them as we go to prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for all you have done for us This morning as we've woken up and being able to come and worship you this morning, your great and mighty God, and your uh, honor uh, deserve our honor. We pray for Brother Carvin this morning as he uh, brings the message to us to help us to encourage us to uh, strive to do your will, to accomplish the things that you'd want. We pray for Uh, strength. We pray for uh, direction in our church as we select a pastor for our congregation. We ask that you will bless and that you will um, anoint from on high and that you will uh, bless in the spirit this morning. God direct in our life and in the church church of our uh, here at Cypress Street. We thank you and we love you in Jesus name. Amen.
3: Good morning. It's so good to see all of you here today and let me especially thank you for the prayers you had for Sandy when she had the COVID and gratefully I did not uh, get it. I tried to keep my distance from her as much as possible. Uh, She is doing better. She's over the COVID but has some other problems going on this morning and not able to be with us but we deeply, deeply appreciate your prayers. If you get your Bibles and turn with me to Acts, the second chapter, I'll be getting there in a few moments. Acts chapter 2. This week I read a quote from a Latin American preacher by the name of Luis, born in Argentina. And he became known as the Bill Graham of Latin America because such a tremendous preacher, he's already passed on to his reward. But he made this statement. And I'd like to share it with you as an introduction to the sermon this morning. He said there are references to sin and its consequences in every chapter of the Bible except four. And those four are Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters of the Bible, and then the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. You recall that Genesis 1 and 2 are the account of the creation by God of everything. It also talks about the close relationship that God had with man during that time. And then by the time we get to to, uh, Genesis 3, we see everything changes. Man rebelled against God through disobedience, which is sin. And then chapter 3 tells some of the consequences of that sin. We, we call this the fall of man because he, he fell from the, the relationship that he once had. And ever since that time, everyone who has been born is born separated from God and in need of salvation. And since Adam and Eve did sin in chapter 3 of Genesis, everything in this world has been affected. We can directly or indirectly take it back to that first sin or possibly our own sins. That means that every murder committed, every robbery that takes place, every war that's ever been fought in the history of mankind, all of the struggles we go through, the physical sickness, every abortion, or in all forms of bad and evil, go to that fact man has fallen from the image in which God first created him. In fact, Paul brings it out this way just as an introduction from Romans, the fifth chapter. He says, By the trespass of one man, which, of course, we know is Adam, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, which we know to be Jesus Christ. So all the confusion, all the heartaches, everything is due directly or indirectly to sin. But since Genesis 3, God has been in the process working to restore mankind to that state of being, that relationship that God had with man back years and years ago. And because of that, we know... By the writings of Paul that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means everyone who's reached the age of accountability. knowing right from wrong has at some time in their life disobeyed God. And Paul also said in Romans that the wages of sin. Or the consequences of sin. Is death. Which that would be physical death. And also eternal separation from God. But then Paul went on to say. But the gift of God. The gift is something we receive, not because we deserve it, but because of the mercy and grace of God. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This gift of salvation is not some static state of being. Where we accept Jesus Christ as our personal savior and then we sit back in our spiritual recliner and wait for Jesus to come back so that he can take us to heaven. No, that's, that's not the picture I see of salvation in the Bible. In fact, salvation is used in three different tenses. It's, it's used in the past tense. Therefore, we can say, I was saved at a certain time. I remember it well. I was sitting on the front pew on the outside when I was eight years old at a revival when I came to the altar and was saved. Forgiven of all my sins. That's past tense. But salvation is also mentioned in the Bible as a present tense. Meaning as long as we faithfully follow Jesus Christ, we're still saved. But then there's that ultimate future salvation that scripture speaks of. And when Jesus comes back, we will be ultimately and finally saved, especially saved from this world that is so evil. Therefore, salvation is not being saved, sanctified, and then petrified. It is a continuous process that begins whenever we invite Jesus Christ in our life. It continues as long as we follow him in obedience in our text today, in Acts the second chapter, Peter laid out on the day of Pentecost, this is 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion, some very basic fundamental truths about salvation. Beginning with verse 14, it says that Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And then by the time we get to uh, verse 41, he ends that sermon. As far as we know, the first public sermon he ever preached. And he says this. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number, which that would be the 120 that originally waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were added to their number that day. Meaning they were saved. Let me share these six fundamental basic truths about salvation before we get to the main part of the sermon. Number one, Jesus was the Christ sent by God. Verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. In verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. There should never be in our, any doubt in our minds who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. We don't have to wait, as many Jews do today, for the Messiah to come. He's come, He came for a purpose. He fulfilled that purpose and then went back to heaven. Number two, Peter affirms that Jesus was crucified for our sins in verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Keep that in mind. Jesus' life wasn't really taken from him, even though he died on the cross. It was God's plan before Jesus ever came that he would die on the cross for our sins. And then he says, You, with the help of wicked men, in verse 23, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So Peter wanted everybody there on the day of Pentecost, and there were thousands, thousands that had come there for the Jewish feast of Pentecost to celebrate this event. They came from every known nation of their their area, Jews and Gentiles that had converted to Judaism. Jesus was crucified for every one of them. Thirdly, Peter goes on to say in verse 24 that Jesus was resurrected. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. If it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I wouldn't have the hope of being resurrected from the dead. But we do have that hope. Death could not hold God. And therefore you and I have the assurance as disciples of Jesus Christ. That when we pass from this world. The soul of course will go to heaven. But the body one day will be raised and changed in the twinkling of an eye in a moment. To be similar to the body of Jesus Christ. And then the soul will go back into that heavenly body. And spend eternity with God. Number four. Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. Verse 33 tells us that. In other words, he is there to intercede for us. He's there to to listen to our prayers as we pray through to Jesus. He's there to help us with whatever problems we may have. And number five, this is one of the reasons he is there. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit as promised. Verse 33 he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see and hear. Which happened of course on the day of Pentecost. Now this promise goes back to at least John chapters 14, 15 and 16. The night that Jesus was crucified. For Jesus told his disciples. And as he was preparing the apostles for his, his coming death and departure. He says, I will pr- ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Verse 17, the Spirit of Truth. Now, the Spirit of Truth, sometimes called the Holy Spirit, sometimes God's Spirit, sometimes the Spirit of Jesus, sometimes the Holy Spirit. It's all the same person. He says, The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you this is the main difference between the workings of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant and under the New Covenant under the Old Covenant the Holy Spirit was with a person or came upon that person for a specific task but in the New Testament after the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit came not to be with us but in us in us to be our, our teacher, our supplier, our empowerment—whatever we need in our lives—he came to be in us. In Acts of chapter one, just before Jesus returned to heaven, we read these words in verses four and five. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command: "Do not leave Jerusalem." But wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had earlier told his disciples, according to Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations. But now he tells them, you wait. You wait until you receive this promised gift. Of God, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit. And then the sixth and last essential teaching that Paul, uh, Peter gives us on full salvation, and that is Jesus is our only source of salvation, which is available to all who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I take it from verses 38 and 39. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of the sin, your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, which means all the Israelites that accept Jesus as the Messiah. But then he says and for all who are far off, which means Gentiles, which would include everybody that wasn't there that particular day. So Peter was saying that everyone, regardless of their cultural background, regardless of their knowledge, pre-knowledge of God, everyone can be fully saved from their sins, just as the 120 were on the day of Pentecost. How is that possible? So this is a very, very simple sermon. In verse 38, that's all I'm going to focus on today. And I know you're thinking, well, it's going to be a short sermon. It's going to be short and sweet. It will be short, but it may not be so sweet, depending on where you stand with Jesus today. Three things Peter said we must do in order to be fully saved. Number one, verse 38. Repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, For the forgiveness of sins. Very simple thing. Even when I was eight years old, I understood. I had to say to God, I'm sorry that I have disobeyed you. And at the age of 18, being raised in a preacher's home, I had not got into a whole lot of meanness. But I had done enough that I needed to be forgiven. Without repentance... Without this being remorseful of our sins that have not only broken God's laws but had broken his heart, this process of salvation cannot possibly start. A person will still be lost. A person will still be separated from God and never, never have the assurance of eternal life. I like the way that Albert Barnes, a theologian of the I think of the seventeen hundreds, and a, a excellent writer and preacher, he said this about repentance, and I quote, Repentance implies sorrow for sin as committed against God, along with the purpose to forsake it. It is not merely a fear of the consequences of sin or of the wrath of God in hell. End of quote. I think a lot of people repent Because they don't want to suffer the wrath of God. And I admit that is part of it. But that should not be the primary reason. Repentance involves a change of our our mind. Where we have an attitude change. And we change the direction in which we're going. And we quit living for self. Quit breaking God's laws or his commandments. And live for ourselves. I like the way that Paul described it when he wrote to the Thessalonians about their salvation. He says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's what repentance is. It involves a turning from our sinful past, leaving it all behind, with a determination as a disciple of Jesus Christ to sin no more. If you read the account of the early apostles that Jesus called They left everything to follow him In fact when Jesus called Matthew to become his disciple It says that Jesus passed by And he saw Levi which is another name for Matthew Sitting at the tax booth And he said to him Follow me We have recorded just two words he said to him And scripture says, Matthew rose, left everything behind, and followed Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew had to have been one of the worst sinful persons of the apostles that that Jesus had ever called. As a tax collector, he worked with a uh, people that were not considered righteous the Gentiles, the Romans. As a tax collector, he would skim off part of their taxes and kept for himself. So he was considered one of the worst sinners among all the Jews. Because not only was he working for the enemy, he was robbing his own people. But Jesus said, follow me. And Mark records that he left everything Follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in Luke that those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. According to Acts, the fourth chapter, and verse 12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So many of our day have the idea. It doesn't matter what you believe in or who you believe in as long as you are faithful to that doctrine. That is not true. Confucius, the wise Chinese philosopher, he didn't die on the cross for your sins as Jesus did. Mohammed is maybe as great as he may have been. He didn't die on the cross for your salvation. He's not the door to God. Or Sun Young Moon, the one who started a, a church that's very, very cultish. Did he die for you? No. Only Jesus Christ died on the cross. Only he, as he says, I am the gate to the foe. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So everyone who's reached that age of accountability... Everyone who desires to have forgiveness of their sins and eternal life with God must first of all repent of those sins to start this process of being saved and then follow Jesus in obedience. I see a second thing that Peter mentioned, and regrettably, at least in our churches, in my opinion, it is not emphasized near enough. It comes from verse 38. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I admit it is easy to misinterpret these words that Peter spoke. Peter is not saying that water baptism saves anybody, rather, baptism is an act of obedience. That indicates that the heart has changed. It has accepted the mercy and grace of God. It becomes a public testimony that one has started the process of this full salvation. Let me read to you the way that Paul described it in Romans 6 chapter, verses 3 through 6. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory or to the glory of his father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like his For we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Notice he speaks about being buried in baptism, which is a symbol. I have died to the old self, the old life that I was living. And when we raise somebody up out of the water, that means that person has been resurrected, is now a new person. But let's understand the culture of Peter's day among the the Jews to better appreciate the importance of baptism. Oftentimes a Gentile wanted to accept Judaism as his faith. He would acknowledge that I believe that your God is the only true God and therefore I want to worship him. In order to do that, he would first have to confess or say, I'm sorry, I was born a Gentile. And that sounds kind of silly. He had no choice in how he was born. It'd be like me saying, I'm sorry, I was born an Adams. I didn't have anything to do with my birth. Only my parents and God decided that. So therefore, I cannot apologize for being a, a, an Adams. But after he would apologize and say, I'm sorry that I am a Gentile, he was then baptized into water. The water did not change him. He did not cease to be a Gentile and become a Jew, but it indicated he would no longer live as a Gentile worshiping idols and false gods. He would worship the one and only true God. This was a symbol of his new identity, not necessarily with the Jews, but with Jesus Christ. In a sense, he had died to the old self. He had died as a Gentile. When he was put under the water, he symbolized, I have died to my old life. I no longer will worship the gods I have in the past. And then when he'd be raised from the water, he has indicated, I am a new person. I have been born again. My life as a Gentile is behind me. I will follow the obedience of the only one and true God. Jesus Christ you see baptism does not wash away our sins it is often used in scripture as a symbol that our sins have been washed away I like what Titus 3 5 says he saved us through the washing of rebirth which means water baptism no the water baptism doesn't save us but it is an important symbol, a, a form of worship, if you will, that we have been saved. It was Jesus himself who said to Nicodemus, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water. What does it mean to be born of water? Can you, you can't be born of water. He is saying that you've been saved from your sins and baptized into water, stressing the importance of that. On the day of Pentecost, Peter says, Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Not because baptism saves anyone. Do we baptize babies? Of course not. They have not sinned. They don't need to be baptized. Jesus himself showed the importance of baptism when he himself was baptized. Had he sinned? absolutely not he was god he is god there was no need for him to be baptized except to show us the importance of baptism i sincerely believe everyone here this morning wants to experience this full salvation that peter is speaking of and to do so we have to repent Acknowledge to God we're sorry for the sins we have committed. Sorry for breaking your laws. Sorry we broke your heart. But then I think we also need to follow him in obedience and be baptized. There's a third thing that Peter said should be done if one is to experience this full salvation. He says, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In my Bible, I have underlined the word gift. It is singular. It is not plural. Peter is not saying receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit that enable us for ministry. He said receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's not saying receive the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which ultimately is the evidence that a person has the Holy Spirit, He's not saying that. Gift is singular. He's not even saying receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which every Christian and every church must have to have victory over sin, to remain in this process of being saved in order to have the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He didn't say that. But he says receive the gift. Means the person of God. Which is the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you again. Acts 1, 4, and 5. The words of Jesus. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift. Singular. The gift. My father promised what you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. That was for repentance. But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Which did happen on the day of Pentecost. Going back to what I said earlier. That Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water. Then he says, born of the spirit. For flesh gives birth to flesh and the spirit gives birth to the spirit. I've already shared with you that the understanding of being born of water is to be baptized in water. Indicating we have died to the old self and have been raised up or reborn as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That Jesus then said you had to be born of the Spirit, which refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, these are the words of Paul to Titus. He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. See, none of us are good enough to get into heaven by ourselves. Not the best person in the world. None of us are. But then notice how he saved us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, which refers to water baptism. And secondly, renewal by the Holy Spirit, which refers to the infilling and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. You remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus, then his name was called Saul. He was going there to persecute Christians. And he had this confrontation. Seeing Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to him, I am sending you to them. And them refers specifically to the Gentiles. And then he tells why. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of their sins, which is conversion or salvation. Then he went on to say... And a place among those who are sanctified, which means made holy through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So this sanctification is exactly what the 120, all 120, received on the day of Pentecost. You may want to look at Acts chapter 2 verse 1 as I read a few of these verses to you in closing. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And they refers to the 120 that were waiting, as Jesus told them to do. Suddenly a wind, or sound like the blowing of a violent wind, came in and filled the house where they were sitting. This, this wind, this strong wind, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit's power. You'll see that throughout Scripture. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And in the scripture, fire, when associated with the Holy Spirit, is a symbol of his purifying, sanctifying ability to change our hearts. Notice verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them, tongues. Don't be misled by that word tongues. Tongues. In the original Greek, it says human languages. That's all it is. Nothing more. None of this gibber jabber that no one can understand that's practiced by so many of our brothers and sisters. It was the ability to speak a human language that they had not ever heard. And Luke tells us. Look at verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Verse 6. When they heard the sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. They didn't hear jibber jabber, they heard it in their own tongue. Verse 7. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one hears them in our native language? Both Jews and converts to Judaism. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is why Peter got up and started his sermon to explain this powerful working of God that enabled the 120 speaking language, human languages they had never learned, and allow those people who were listening to understand it in their own language. Why was that important? It was telling them, this is from God. They could have used the interpreter probably and interpreted Peter's message to all the 15 or 15, 17 different dialects, but that wouldn't prove anything. When they heard in their own tongue, they knew. It was from God. So Peter gets up and explains a little bit of what I've shared with you this morning. Of what it takes in order to be saved completely. It takes that repentance. That being sorry for the sins we've committed and a commitment to turn away from the sinful past. To follow Jesus in obedience from that point forward. It involves a public testimony of being baptized. No, baptism does not save you. Don't go out here and tell people I said that. But I do, I do stress it is very, very important. In fact, in my opinion, if if a Christian refuses to be baptized, he's disobeying God. And I'm not sure this process of salvation can continue. You understand what I'm saying? Now I know some of you have never heard it put that way, but I believe it with all my heart. And then he says something that is, is equally important as forgiveness is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That we will have the power to be the people God wants us to be. That we would have the ability to carry out the ministry that God wants us to carry out. Do you think I would be bold enough to get up here and preach if I did not feel anointed by God? Help me if I ever do that. I couldn't do it. I've told you before, I took speech in, in college years and years ago, and I was so afraid to get in front of the people, I dropped the class. And I didn't take it till about 20 years later. That's how long it takes me to get something in my head and get it right. I sincerely hope that everyone here has turned from their sinful past Confessing your sins. You don't don't confess every sin. You probably can't remember all of them. I can't, and I'm glad I can't. But we confess that we're sorry for breaking God's laws in his heart. I sincerely hope that each one of you have followed through in obedience to be baptized in water. And I sincerely hope and pray you have experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of it. It won't make you lose control and fall down on the ground and go unconscious like some portray today. It will not cause you to dance through the church. Although I see nothing wrong with that if God's in it. We'll see that in Guatemala. You may not want to go back. Maybe that's why I like to go there. I get excited about it. I've yet to dance. I just don't have that rhythm, I guess. I don't know what it is. But it involves a full surrender. And God will not do anything in your life where you're not in control. He's a God of order, not disorder. He's not a God of confusion. But he brings clarity to the life we should live. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads this morning. That you be in an attitude of prayer. You may have a need that you need to pray about. If you do, I encourage you to come. Come. If you'd like to pray by yourself, you can come to these front pews, sit, kneel, stand, whatever. But if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'm going to ask that you come to the altar so I'll know. Regardless of what needs you have, and no, you're not going to have to tell me your sins. I don't want to know them. It's none of my business. It's strictly between you and God. So let's stand together as we sing. And if you have a need, I invite you to come.
2: Come, Holy Spirit.
0: This morning, as the words of God and His holy word come to life, this morning, as Karen spoke the words that God has laid upon his heart, we're thankful for each one that is here this morning. And I pray that each one will have a great week this week and that you will be filled with power and glory. Let us pray this morning as we dismiss. Thank you so much, dear Father. For blessing us this morning with thy word pray that it will fill our hearts and will give us courage and wisdom and it will give us strength for our daily living we're thankful for each one that has played a part in this service this morning most of all we are thankful for the holy spirit that has anointed us from above pray that you'll go with us throughout the day and throughout this week lead guide and direct in our life and We thank you in Jesus' name and your love. Amen.